You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, Spine Number 49, Rocky IV and the Balboa Legacy, featuring Apollo, Adrian, Polly, Cuff, Link, Mickey, Butkus, Thunderlips, Clubber, Drago, Tommy, Mason, Donnie, Bianca, Ricky, Drago, Damien, Jacob? Yes? Are you telling me you bet on the fight in Rocky 3 and you bet against Rocky? Welcome back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight. Joining me, as always, is Martin Carlson. Martin, I must break you. <laughs> if he dies, he dies. <laughs> Why did you pick Rocky Four? Like, talk to me about this movie, because this is distinctly a Martin movie. Yeah, I... Um... It's Dolph. I mean, it's 100% Dolph for me. Sure. Um, I we've, probably t- we've talked many times. This podcast I've written for the pod about my love of Dolph. I'm Swedish American. Um, I met him once, and it was the greatest, one of the greatest, you know, celebrity interactions of my life. Rocky Four is next to Rocky Three, the most 80s movie I think ever made. Um, it is just so sure. It, there's it's kind of like the Battleship Potemkin of like. MTV era of filmmaking. I mean, for real, it's it's so it's so arch. Everything is so operatic. It's about what's I think I count it's like seven and a half minutes of dialogue in the whole movie, and the rest is like music video break, music video. When you, I love how like it also represents in this franchise how far you can go from this really grounded, wonderful new Hollywood film, Rocky, which wins Oscars, and then how crazy. Similar to the Rambo series, the way that that Stallone would take these kind of serious, nuanced first films and then go just full on MTV insanity by like the second or third or fourth film. And beaming in from the beautiful land of Pittsburgh is newly minted uh, vulture author. Yes. Brandon Strusnick, which, first of all, Brandon Congratulations on the stunt awards. I feel like this is the perfect episode to have you on <laughs> after uh, you published that massive beast of an article. Um, but we wanted to just really say big ups on leveling up. But talk to us about your relationship to the Rocky movies and like how you feel about Rocky Four. Oh, well, first of all, thank you. Really, really appreciate that. Um, super exciting stuff going on. And uh yeah, it's nice that action and stunts are getting more mainstream love. Hopefully that'll continue with or without me, but uh, I'm just happy to be there and here. <laughs> but um, I, Rocky, it's weird because like they're just movies I grew up with because of my dad. And for the longest time, like I kind of just mirrored his opinions. Like first two are the best, three and four are fun, five's terrible, and Balboa is great. But like as I got older, I was like, 
I and got more into action movies and like kind of fell in love with Dolph. I like was like, no, four is actually great. Like, I mean, it's weird. Cause is it a great movie structurally? Probably not. It's very music video-y, but like, that's why I love it. There's just so much style to it. Dolph's a fantastic villain. Um, and yeah, so like, I just have always loved the Rocky movies. I think of the nine that are in the franchise, if you include Creed, which you should, I th- I always, I'm like, I'm like everyone else, like five's the only bad one, but, uh, Jacob, you and, uh, and our mutual buddy, Liam, Liam O'Donnell have really gone to bat for five recently. So I think I need to give that one another go. I wouldn't say that I really go to bat for five. <laughs> I think I still, I agree with you that it's a bad movie. I, the one, uh, let's say hot take I'll throw out there is that there's literally no bad Rocky movies. Like they're all so insanely watchable right down to five, which is bottom of the barrel. But I still think there's cool stuff about five to consider, especially when you watch them in order, which is what I did to prepare for this podcast is I started at one and ended with Creed three today before we started recording. But five, I think, is an interesting pivot point in right in the middle of uh, the franchise where you really start the cycle of old man Rocky. Like everybody kind of clings to Rocky Balboa from 2006 as being like the first old man Rocky Mm -hmm. movie. But really, it's Rocky five because Rocky five is the one where like he's hanging it up. He's trying to figure out where his life goes next. He loses all of his money in one of the most bizarre scenes in the entire series. Um, And then he gets his first protege, really, in in Tommy the Machine Gun. Um, And then, frankly, my main uh, defense of that movie is that I like that it ends not in a ring but in a back alley where he has to essentially – revert back to being the enforcer for a loan shark again and taking it to the streets and being the shit out of this guy in in being a straight up street brawler. Like he's again, the underdog in the way that we remember from the first movie. And I feel like that's the easiest way for me to transition into asking you guys how you feel about the first film, because one of the, uh, the most obvious, and this isn't like a, original thought or whatever. But one of the most fascinating things about the Rocky series is how it evolves from seventies character movie. That's made for less than a million dollars to massive reboot call in the form of Creed, which is like the best version of a certain type of modern filmmaking where like you take stuff like that or like the, the new star Wars trilogy is probably the, the most popular example to where they're taking an old property and just grafting new characters and new ideas, but using the same exact formula uh, to kind of like spark that uh, nostalgia yeah. in the audience. But talk to me about the first one, guys. Like, how did you feel about it? How did you first come to it? Martin, let's go with you. Um, I don't remember the first time I saw it. Me uh, I mean, it came out at 76. So, but I remember my dad liking it. So what you're saying, Brandon, it's definitely like a, a kind of father son kind of movie. <laughs> and I remember really getting into three and four 
for like a long time in high school. Again, it was my doll, my really my heavy Dolph days, right? And then I went back and watched one, which compared to three and four is a slower start, right? It's less music video-y. Um, and it has now become um, for my writing partner and me, this is our North Star of screenwriting. So we literally, whenever writing a new screenplay, we rewatch Rocky and the structure of it. It's structurally perfect. Um, and so on that front, I think it's amazing. I love the new Hollywood entire, like I said, kind of character piece vibe, Jacob. Um, but for me, and this is a little cheesy, I love how it's just so metatextual in that this is Stallone shooting his shot. You know, they wanted it's him like the Rocky he is Rocky are really him writing his autobiography and getting more ridiculous about it as it goes along. But you can kind of track Stallone's entire career through this series. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, because this film is definitely about I mean, Stallone, who was in his 30s at this point, had had obviously done some porn, had done Roger Corman films. And, you know, the studio Paramount, they wanted like they thought they were going to do an older Rocky. They're going to do a James Conn for a bit. They were going to do um, oh, Robert Redford. <laughs> yeah, Robert Redford. And the original one of the original versions was it was not written for himself. It's an older Rocky who dies at the end. Very much the champ, right. the kind of Wallace Beery kind of that. And it's definitely a story we've seen before about the kid. It's the wrestler, you know, or um, Requiem for a heavyweight. Yeah, it's stuff. that whole series. He's kind of playing that world. But. I remember I also just love that it's such a kind of moment in time that I remember watching old trailers for this movie when before the Oscars and they said all the critics were calling him the next Marlon Brando because they were they were like this is the next hot thing obviously he got to become the biggest superstar one of the biggest superstars in the history of cinema but not in the way we thought he was going to off of watching this first film but that's my I love Rocky. I just I mean, I love how this the whole franchise, this one really the emotional beats to hit me every single time that I watch it. This might seem like a strange comparison, but my relationship to Stallone is very similar to my relationship with John Travolta mm. as an actor, because like Blowout is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And when you go back and revisit that film, you for like it's easy to forget now with modern DTV Schlockmeister Travolta that at one point in his career, he was the sexiest, coolest, like baddest motherfucker who ever showed up on screen. Like blowouts for all of its technical wizardry and everything like blowout is great because Travolta shows up and just owns every scene that he's in. But Stallone's the same way to a greater degree in the Rocky films, because, like you said, he's writing his autobiography through these films. But like when you go back and revisit uh, Rocky, Rocky two and to a lesser degree, three and four. Um, but the first two, like you forget, like this guy was a fucking actor, like he was an artist, like he still is. Yeah. But like he was like. In that same class of like Stella Adler, mumbly, like kind of just thuggish, you know, masculine performers. Um, and like now we think about Salone, we think about Trump voting like super weirdo. Yeah. Who's in like Escape Plan 3. But – Kind Back of sig then, signaling a bit to the Q crowd and then going, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Also, like his vaguely I don't want to accuse him of racism, but odd turn when the Creed series takes over and it, it shifts away from Rocky Balboa and he more or less like muscles uh, 
Ryan Coogler out of the director's chair because he feels like he loses creative control and it's not as much about Rocky anymore. But Brandon, talk to us about the original Rocky. Like, when do you first remember seeing it, loving it, hating it? How do you feel? I think I'm similar to both of you guys. Like, uh, Martin, when you were detailing your history with it, it kind of rang true for me. I, it, it fe- Rocky's one of those movies and series that just feels like I was born knowing what it was. <laughs> like, it's like, like Star it, Wars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's always been there. So I, I really don't remember the last time, or the, I mean, last time, the first time I saw it. Um, it's just, it's kind of always been there and I, I've always loved it. And, and I just, um, it's funny because I remember a very specific memory. It wasn't the first time I saw it, but I watched, we, we were shown it in one of my film classes when I was briefly in college for two years. Um, and I remember a lot of the kids in my class hadn't seen it. Cause like, that's one of the things you find out when you go to film school is like a lot of the people there aren't big movie watchers, <laughs> which is like, I don't know. It's it's very weird uh, when you get there and you you think you're going to meet a lot of people that are like like minded like you and know a lot of shit about movies and a lot of them don't know anything. But anyway, um, I when it came on, a lot of people were like kind of like snickering at it a little bit. It's like that. It's like similar to like the when you get like a bad rep house audience and you know people think they're above the movie or you know they have an idea in their head, but. As the movie went along, that kind of stopped. And by the end, people were like losing their minds for that final fight. There's just like an overwhelming power to that first movie and to the series. I think that it's just like it, it, whatever. If you go into it only knowing like the cultural idea of Stallone and Rocky and Adrian and all that kind of stuff, you, you have like these preconceived ideas. But it's such a just like undeniable. It's an un, such an undeniable film that it just like overpowers any of like jokes you could make about it. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a best picture winner for a reason. It kind of remi- uh, it kind of reminds me of, I was seeing a tweet earlier about like deliverance and how deliverance has been by a lot of people. It's just about certain elements versus it being a brilliant film about not just one scene. Right. Like, again, it's kind of like what we all think of in the cultural memory of Rocky versus like, Watching it again recently, I got the that 4K four set from H like MGM like last week, and I plowed the first four. Beautiful transfers, and it was like watching the first one for the first time. I hadn't watched it in over a year, which is long for me. I usually watch it at least like <laughs> twice, three times a year. But you know, it just if you kind of try to watch it with fresh eyes, it's just a really beautiful, sweet film. And for me, the moment I think that defines the Rocky series um, for me personally. Um, is when he um, he comes back from looking at the ring right before the final act, the fight, and he comes and he lies down with with Adrian and he says, I can't do it. And and she sits up on her arm and she touches his like shoulder in his back. And she's like, what are we going to do? And I love that line because he's already, the idea of he's already won. He's already has Adrian. Right. And he just he basically redefines what success is, which you don't see a lot in kind of these kind of films of a guy saying, no, I don't, I'm saying now I don't have to win. All I want to do is go the distance. I'm going to redefine what winning is, which is just, you don't, it's, it was new for the time. I don't see it a lot anymore either, you know? Well, and I'm glad that you brought up Adrian and Talia Shire because the easy thing to lose in the conversation about Rocky in general is that this is as much a romance as it is yeah. like the ultimate sports movie. And Talia Shire is one of the reasons for that. Like she's 
fucking incredible in these films and has like one of the purest standout moments in almost every one through four. Um, four is where she starts to taper off like yeah. a little bit, but one, two, and three, like one of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise is in one when Rocky comes to basically like take her out for the first time and more or less like corners her in her apartment and like Talia Shire's incredible in that scene because you can see how nervous and on edge that she is around this kind of big palooka. Like there's that moment where like he's flirting with her and trying to talk to her and he puts his arm up to basically block her from leaving. And you watch her nervously like glance at his arm. And she knows in that, that instance, like there's no escaping this guy, but she still slowly gives in to like his, not even his charms, but his innate goodness as a human being. And she becomes the only person who can recognize that like Rocky, isn't just a bruiser, but like a good person. And that's the other thing that I feel like gets lost when we talk about uh, the character in general is that like Rocky starts out as a lone shark enforcer for Joe Spinell as possibly I mean, come the, on. the nicest lone shark <laughs> in both cinematic and Philadelphia history. Gives right? you money for dates and then for yeah, training. He's, he's it's so, it's so funny. It's so funny see when whenever Joe Spinell pops up in something that isn't sleaze, especially not playing a sleazy guy, because you're like, this doesn't feel right, but it, but it's awesome. <laughs> and he's just so natural as as a performer. Like he, is, he yeah. was one of our greats that we lost too early. Oh, did you ever absolutely. See, did you ever see the um, Steven Spielberg waiting for the Oscar nominations for Jaws? Oh, when he's and it's comforting him, Spielberg. And it's, and it's yeah, Spinell, he's like awesome. So it's like, so how wild. Do you, how, how do you, how do you give the picture a best, but not the director? He's going like false Spinell. That's one of my favorite things of the seventies period. Well, and that was all the stories that you heard about Joe Spinell from the seventies and early eighties is that like, yeah, he looked like this big oafish weirdo who was known for playing, you know, like fucking maniac and shit, but he was actually like one of the most gentle souls that ever walked the face of the earth. And like, everybody loved him because he was interesting. He was talented. Yeah. And above all else, he was kind. I, I just yeah. love that he and Spielberg were buddies. Like I would have loved to do a movie about them hanging out oh, in the seventies. Yeah. Well, and like he's in the Godfather. Yeah. You know? totally. Like he's, he's that guy. He's in, he's in those movies too. He was working with some of the greatest directors of all time. He was also working with Bill Lustig. <laughs> <laughs> what do you I, guys feel about uh, when it comes to Rocky two? Brandon, I'll, I'll let you start with this one. I like it a lot. I, I think it's great. Um, I don't know. It's weird. It's one of the ones that I don't revisit as often. And I don't know why, because I, I genuinely like the movie. And for whatever reason, I don't find it as memorable as some of the later movies. And I guess that's because, you know, you eventually get to, you know, Mr. T and Dolph Lundgren. And those are like memorable people. Not that Carl was Carl Weathers isn't because, I mean, I think more or less Apollo might be like the most important figure in this entire series. So, like, it's not that he's not memorable. It's just for whatever reason, as great as I think too, is I don't revisit it as often. And I wonder if it's because it's so similar to the first one, but that still it, it's a great movie. Like I wish I had more to say on it because it's, it's probably the one I've outside of five. It's maybe the one I've seen the least. And I, 
I really don't know why that is. I don't know if you guys feel similarly or if, I know some people like it better than the first one. And I, I think that's kind of a crazy opinion, but not going yeah. you for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. Like yeah, but I, that it's better than one. The one thing I will say though, is that I do think it has for as much as we reference Rocky as a film, I think most people recognize the iconography of the Rocky series from Rocky Two. the yo Adrian, we did it. The Creed challenging Rocky to like a second bout. Yeah. The structure of it, of losing in one and then winning in two. Like, I feel like people think they remember one the most, but actually remember two the most because the fights are better in two. Like, there's more of it, frankly, because there's literally only, I forgot that in Rocky one, the last fight literally starts with 10 minutes left to go. In yeah. The and it's like, but two, also starts the idea that all of these movies, and it was the thing that I, I kept coming back to while watching them all in order, they're all about male insecurity in one way or the, the other. Like one is about more or less like a, a, a black man rising to the top and realizing that he has nowhere else to go and challenging an underclass white dude to a fight because he knows it'll make them big money. And then it's about a white guy essentially ascending past his own, his own knowledge that he'll probably lose and that he needs the money and everything. It's about him asserting himself as a man, finding the love of his life, going the distance as Martin already referenced and like challenging, like for as weird as it is, there's so much racial tension in a lot. Um, but then two is about this same black man who's been challenged by this white guy in the ring and his pride has been hurt. Like he didn't think like at no point did Apollo Creed ever think like Rocky Balboa is going to climb into the ring and give me a good fight. He was like, this is going to last like three rounds at best. And I'm going to knock this motherfucker out. And that's going to be that like, so two is about pride. It's all about men dealing with being, kind of stripped of the thing that, that that drives them every day while Rocky at the same time realizes that he's now a man without a purpose. Like he doesn't belong in this world of shooting commercials or like, or going doing, back to just working going at the meat, back to meat working plant. At the yeah. meat plant. Like he has one purpose in life. And like, if he doesn't strive towards that for all of the goodness in his heart, like what makes him money is his fists. And it's about realizing that and letting go of that pride as a man and reclaiming that and just knowing the thing that makes you you and that's OK. Um, and then we'll go into the what the rest of the movies are about. But if you look at all of them from a weird armchair psychologist kind of standpoint, they're all about male insecurity all the way up through Creed three with Creed three actually amplifies that to a weird degree. Oh, well, yeah. They, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, no. Well, Creed three is very similar to Rocky three to me and that it presents. Yes. I mean, I I don't think any of us are like the correct people to be talking about this on the whole. But I've seen other people make the case that they're both similar films and that they both present two sides of like black masculinity and which one's acceptable to like white audiences and which one isn't and how we how we kind of you know, process that because I, I think Creed three does a much better job with that because I think Jonathan majors is much more easier to 
wrap your head around than Clubber Lang, who I think. It's just like a big monster in the movie. Yeah. Like Stallone, I think presents him as like, no, like Apollo is like the good black man. And this is the bad black man. When really, if you had a more nuanced person taking on the, like that, the writing of that movie, I think there could have been an interesting case to kind of, show you the two sides of like the black experience in America with clubber and Apollo. But I think Creed three does that much better, I think, but I know we'll get to that, but um, I don't know. The one thing I wanted to say really quickly, uh, cause you brought it up earlier, Jacob, it is interesting. And I don't know where this fits in, in the whole conversation, how this not only like reflects Stallone's career, but I think that they, this series reflects like the film industry as a whole, as it goes it's it's a fun way to navigate Hollywood because you have like sure. one and one and two are like the seventies ish kitchen sink dramas that just happen to have fighting in them. Like one feels right at home with like, you know, like the kind of the more miserableist movies of that time, like the friends of Eddie Coyle and stuff like that. Like that feels right at home and well, there French, French connection. If you want. Yeah. 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 And then three and four become like these, these like, action movies for better, you know, for better or worse. They, they're just like Stallone. They're kind of like cartoons. Yeah. Like it's Stallone at peak Rambo form. And like, it's like they, and that's what was happening at the time. And then five feels like right around the time that like nineties indie cinema was like starting to like trickle into Hollywood and Stallone dialed it back to the kitchen sinkiness. And then Balboa and Creed are like right when legacy sequels are taking off and like, everyone's all into nostalgia again. So it's like, it is really cool to track these movies. They kind of are like a history of Hollywood from the seventies to now. They're kind of, they're kind of like bond in that way too, in terms of the cycle, not of just a Hollywood of a franchise, Oh yeah, you know, because you know, four to me feels like almost like die another day for bond where you go as it, it, die another day sucks, but like the, <laughs> the most, like I'm just making that clear for everyone in the room and the listeners. And but it was that the most extreme of Bond, the most cartoony of Bond, and you get Casino Royale, right? And and I feel like five is so weird, and we'll get to five more. But like five is this like step back from four, where it tr- and you have John G. Avildsen coming back to you know that's direct, what I was gonna bring up. You know, it, bringing him back is the other thing that makes five, for as bad as it is, and again the nadir of the franchise, like bringing Avildsen back is a signal in a weird way that Stallone's trying to pivot away from what three and four become. Yeah. And, and I mean, since we're kind of in two, still talking about two a little bit as well, like it is my least favorite. I think I like it less than five. I know like not everyone agrees probably with that, but you I, like two less than five. <laughs> yeah. That's deranged. Yeah. Um, well, I'm being a dick. Okay. They're both at the bottom. Okay. I'll they switch back and forth, but like you, Brandon, I watched two very rarely. I watched five. I haven't seen five in 25 years till this podcast. Right. And two, there's elements. I love, I love the, op- one of the opening scenes where Stallone is healing up in the hospital and fucking, you know, Paul Creed wheels himself to his room and, oh, yeah, and he asks so him, good. did you give me everything you have? And I think it's one of the best moments in the series. However, a lot of the series, a lot of the films are structured the same way. Kind of your point, they're almost like two is very similar to one structurally. It's almost the same movie where you have the first half of the film is a man in obscurity, a man just like, okay, here's my situation. I'm trying to, I'm kind of floundering in it. And the midpoint is the moment where they have their new opportunity. And in part two, it's again, the opportunity for the fights. It's not until Adrian is like, I'm behind you in two. And I like that moment where she's like, win because, but I, 
think it takes a little long because it makes her kind of unlikable in that way. She's like, I don't want you to fight anymore. I'm like, why? He just it's like he well, just fought once. I mean, I don't know. Like the other choice to sideline Adrian for a bunch of that movie when yeah. she falls into the coma more or less is a weird one. Um, but, but in terms of weird decisions, and this is the only thing I want to bring up before we get to Rocky three, which is where the, where the real fun part of the conversation <laughs> we'll past two. <laughs> um, do you think it's weird that one in one, you know, there's the guy who drives Joe Spinell's character around and he says to Rocky at one point about Adrian, hey, she's retarded. You should take her to the zoo because I heard <laughs> retards really like the zoo. But then at the beginning of two, Rocky asks Adrian to marry him at the zoo. Do you feel like un- like subconsciously he was thinking about that guy's insult and he was like the easiest place to ask this retard out was at the zoo? And then he brings it up in part six. That's right. No, in Creed 2 about the about the engagement. Like, I feel yeah. like there's part like of Rocky back to that was zoo. like, oh, yo, Adrian doesn't have a high IQ. <laughs> What's the funny thing, though? Because she I mean, the as the series goes on, like he is not as dopey as he is because as no, he, he, he evolved, is martyrs yeah. through the series, but she was in, always the brains of the operation. Don't necessarily always make sense. Like Rocky as a character doesn't necessarily stay nope. the most consistent, let's say. Well, if I mean if three's if now's a good transition time, three, he's Stallone. Like he's 80 Stallone. It's a complete I think a almost almost a completely different character. I just remember distinctly, like I was pretty high when I was watching Rocky <laughs> 2, but I even texted you in the middle in the beginning of it when he asked Adrian to marry him. And I was like, they're at the zoo. Does anybody else think this is weird? <laughs> well, and also you texted me rewatching one. All I see out of the blue is take it to the zoo. I'm like, I don't know what this is. I'm like, oh yeah, we're doing an episode about the Creed and Rocky <laughs> series. I had to like make my brain like go back to like, what are we actually talking about? <laughs> I like that. There's a huge portion of this show that just talks about our text messages back and forth and they get a feeling of being friends with me. It's just getting random, like movie quotes <laughs> at like 2 AM. And I'm like, ah, okay. And being like, I don't know. Jacob's obviously fucked up and watching movies again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But let's talk about Rocky three. Um, Brandon, how do you feel about Rocky three? Because I have mixed feelings about this movie. It's fucking weird as hell. It is. And I, I went back and forth on it a lot. I was kind of, um, I remember like I was kind of mixed on it until recently when I rewatched it, I think Creed three existing, retroactively makes this one a little better. It kind of contextualized some stuff for me, but um, I, I do think it has the best opening in any Rocky movie that montage and slow introduction of Clubber Lang is incredible. And I wish the rest of the movie lived up to that, but Oh my God, him lurking in the background. Like yeah. A demon from hell, just waiting to beat the shit out of Rocky Balboa. It's, it's insane. And like, it's, it's just this incredible, like, like the, the magazine covers flashing over him. And it's, it's such a great, uh, again, I keep invoking Liam, but he just did a series rewatch of these. And so his like thoughts have been fresh in my mind. <laughs> I've been reading him as he's been talking about them. And he brought up something really interesting that, you know, we talk about, you know, like big structural changes in cinema. And I, one that doesn't get talked about enough is Stallone, kind of revolutionized editing with the montage 
And oh I, yeah, I wanted to get into this too. Yeah, and I really think that starts here with this opening montage. It's such it's such an economic way to like set the stakes immediately. You know, Rocky has overcome his the underdog status. He is the guy. And you have this new underdog who is watching him ascend, being like, That should be me. I can take him. And it's like you're basically seeing the Rocky story play out again, but with Clubber as Rocky and Rocky as Apollo. You know, and you see it in like three minutes in the opening. It's such a it's such a perfect way to just set your movie up immediately. There's no there, there's not this like like superfluous backstory or anything. You know exactly what you need to know immediately. It's also a weird thing. I mean, it's something we see in Marvel films today. Honestly, uh, just talk about Michael B. Jordan is in Black Panther. It's this thing where you give when you have a villain who it seems like oh they're like a mirror image of our hero. But you have a moment where it's like, oh, but they're fucking evil, right? There's an opportunity in this film where they could have made Clubber Lang. Like, you're kind of getting with Creed three more nuanced. He's the devil. Well. Like, in this movie, it seems like. I also feel like there's an element to talk about with Rocky Balboa, particularly in three. And I think Creed three echoes this as well, is that it's about the champ getting soft. Yeah. Oh, totally. out to a certain degree. Is that – and the hungrier – contender coming in and recognizing that weakness, kind of like a a shark that smells blood in the water to a certain degree. Um, But like Clubber Lang is the one who comes in and sees like, okay, this guy's soft now and this is my shot to take him on and really like bust him up completely, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's it, it, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's missing from this movie that made me wish I liked it more. I I think it is mostly and not that I need villains to be like redeemable. Sometimes it's nice to just have a big bad monster, but I do think in weird ways the first two movies are pretty nuanced about race, which is surprising coming from someone like Stallone. But this I think, one is not. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like Clubber is just a caricature and it sucks because there's something to him that I feel like could have been explored a lot better. And again, it's, you can't really put that on a movie like from this time period. I mean, I guess you can, but like there was, there were like movies exploring this, but, uh, but it, it is of its time. So it's not like you can ding it too much, but it is, there's something missing from it where I think clubber could have been a much more well-developed character as he is. He's awesome. He's, he's fucking hilarious, but like, I I just, I I know it's an awful scene. It's very, it's like in poor taste all around, but him telling her that, you know, you've never been with a real man. It's just like, a woman. Yeah. It's just insane. Hey woman. Hey woman. (laughs) All right. So I have a a quick story to tell. Um, right after college, I, I went to Pittsburgh, uh, to hang out with my brother, right before he was about to graduate from Carnegie Mellon and me, him and this kid we used to hang out with, uh, in Westchester named Nick. Uh, we, me and Nick drove out, was visiting with my, my brother in his apartment and Nick brought is a musician and brought all of his synthesizers and crazy like recording equipment and stuff. And we recorded, I wish I could find the file, but we recorded one track as a band that was going to be called Clubber Lang and it used the Hey Woman speech <laughs> as a sample <laughs> as part of like this dance song that we wrote with a, like a bunch of synthesizers and shit. But it was just like, Hey woman, come over here. 
show you what a real man feels like. Luke Mighty Fine in them jeans. (laughs) (laughs) It's so crazy in the early 80s how, like, Mr. T became this, like, cultural icon. Like, because in the same year as uh, Rocky Three, he's in Penitentiary 2 from Jamal Fanaka, the the, uh, prison boxing movie. And then two years later, it's it's a team. Uh, three years. Three years a- later. A team, I believe, is 85. But also DC Cap with Joel Schumacher. Oh, yeah. But like like Mr. T was just this weird dude who was like around that like everybody referenced or whatever, right down to like the Eddie Murphy early 80s delirious bit where he talks about he has the recurring dream where Mr. T is <laughs> – well, gay. I'm not going to use the word that Ed, Eddie Murphy uses yeah. and breaks his dick off with his butt cheeks. Well, it, 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 we're talking about Mr. T. The Hulkster's in this movie. Oh my I god! Mean, and it, I'm surprised that Brandon's not a bigger fan of this movie, being such a wrestling fan as he is. But like, this I, is the movie that introduces the WWF into the Rocky universe and has him wrestle. The greatest named wrestler of all time, Thunder. <laughs> it's funny because I should like this one more because of that, but like I hate Hulk Hogan. <laughs> like I mean, he's so I, fucking funny in this. He movie, is. This, this is his best performance because I, I was saying this uh, to someone. I, or no, I was saying it on my own Twitter page. Jesus, uh, I, <laughs> I, I uh, all my fans, <laughs> so all I, my loving, adoring fans. <laughs> I I was watching. Um, What's it called? Uh, God, I can't remember the movie. I think it's called Suburban Escape. Commando. Oh, no, but they, that's a good pull too. Thunder but, in Paradise. No, I think it was called Escape <laughs> from Devil's Island, which also starts. Oh yeah. Others, yeah, and it's it's so funny watching Hulk try to be an action star because he's like <laughs> terrible. Because you know, like yeah, Cena, The Rock, Batista, they can all like channel some kind of character to various like degrees of success. Where Hulk like. You can see him thinking of the line as he's saying it. And I think the only time he's ever been good is in this movie because he's playing himself. And it's like, it's perfect. Like he doesn't need to like become a different character. I think there's, I think Hulk Hogan has such little internal interiority to him that he can't process having to portray anyone else. So when he's just himself, he's fine. Something so much fun. Yeah. He's, he's having, he's, Full Hulk, full Hulk Hogan. The you know? ultimate man <laughs> meets the ultimate meatball. <laughs> There's one little thing I realized watching Rocky three um, is that. So he has a different kid play his son in every movie. I was going to get to this when uh, we get to five. Five. It's actually quite sad. Yeah. With Gage. But three, the kid who pl- I'm 90 percent sure plays his son three because he literally whispers in his dad's ear for like two seconds and you never see him. He's a lot more in part four. It's the kid from Mr. Belvedere who had AIDS in one episode where they're like, how you doing? He's like, well, I had AIDS and it's like this, this, it's not funny, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just, I watch these commercial, I watch these like YouTube things about the worst moments from sitcoms and that's one of them. And that's his kid in Rocky three. Well, and in Rocky five, it's Sage Stallone, his actual son yes, who dies. This is the craziest part watching this movie. It's the other thing that I find metatextually fascinating about Rocky five. So Tommy Morrison contracts AIDS a few years after this movie's released is basically he can't box anymore. Yeah. He loses his whole career, goes through a whole cycle to where like he actually gets back into the ring and then test test positive again. I remember. And that. then isn't he's disqualified again, isn't allowed to fight anymore for obvious reasons. 
suffers through HIV and AIDS for his entire life through, I believe he dies in 2012 from complications from AIDS. And then Sage Stallone dies a year after Tommy Morrison dies. So both of Rocky's surrogate, like both his real life son and his surrogate son in the movie die a year apart from one another in very tragic circumstances because Sage Stallone dies at, 36, 37 he years hit a, old. He hit his of, head in the of, bathroom? Right? No, heart. Heart, okay. heart complications a lot. There, I mean, oh, I don't wow. want to speculate too much, but yeah. like a lot of people said that he was either on drugs or a drug dealer or whatever and has uh, you know, many troubles in his life, but dies at 36 of, of heart failure. And um, Sage Stallone one of the great film preservationists of all time too forms grindhouse releasing with Bob Murawski, mm. uh, the, the editor for Sam Raimi for like the Academy award winning editor for, for Sam Raimi and the hurt locker and all these movies and who puts out shit like cannibal Holocaust and cannibal Ferox And I had no and, idea he was behind that. That's, insane. I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he was part of that. Like he died. He was one of, uh, the, the, Vinegar syndrome, Brad Henderson was really good friends with him for years, and he was kind of like a mentor to Brad about preservation and, and acquiring film licenses and rights and everything. But like so, so I have big him, into that. I have him to thank for my uh, amazing release of the swimmer then. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of the people behind that that label because that's like he was crazy. one of the first people into that. Wow. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Well, I mean, he immediately uh, jumps over Frank Stallone as the second best Stallone. <laughs> wow. Dude, I watched a whole supercut of Norm MacDonald making fun of Frank Stallone. It's like an hour and a half long, and it's fucking hilarious. You know like, what I never never knew? Uh, the other day, someone put on put the, posted this to Twitter, and I, it, I, I never knew this. Uh, the, the same people who were making WWE action figures in like the mid-2000s put out a, a series of Rocky figures, which I remember. Yeah. And I remember like the, the, the meat action figure, which, yes. <laughs> which I always laughed about, but someone posted that and said, these are the two worst action figures ever made. It was the meat, but I didn't know that there was a limited edition Frank Stallone figure too, that you could buy. And I had no idea that existed. And I kind of want it just because it's like such an insane thing to exist. It was uh, speaking of action figures still, um, Rocky was supposed to be a GI Joe. It was in the eighties, late eighties. And oh, wow. they, um, they had a deal with MGM and they were going to make Rocky one of the GI Joes. And they even have like the back um, kind of drawing from the, uh, the action figure card that's done. The figure was never made. It's sort of crazy that they picked Rocky over Rambo. It's a little weird, but they wanted it. They wanted a boxer character and they instead took his body and made a a character called big boa, which I actually still have. (laughs) And they gave him this like robot head instead. It makes no fucking sense. But my brother and I always talk about like, Oh man. And it was cool because it was like, it was a mixture of Rocky and Rambo because it was Rocky, but he had a band Dana on, which he never does in the movie. So it's kind of just like Stallone is going to be a G.I. Joe. They should have have waited till the 90s and then just like kept the bandana, kept kept the Rocky backstory and then just combined uh, his Copland character and make him a little fatter, too. (laughs) Just call him Freddy. And that's it. Is there any way to integrate like Marion Cobretti into it, too? Oh, that would be like that's a must. That'd be a good G.I. Joe. Like he has a pair of scissors to cut pizza with. 
But Cobra's the bad guy, so he'll be actually a villain. Yeah, I guess so. You're right. yeah. Not to go too deep on this action figure thing. But speaking of robots, can we talk about uh, Rocky Four and Paulie's robot? How oh he fucks that? Yeah. How he fucks that robot? Oh, he oh, fucked yeah. that robot. It's not and even. He also domestically abused it too. Have I even alluded seen, to? Have either of you seen Stallone's uh, recut? Yes, I have. I have. Is, yeah. is, does he cut the robot out? Is that true? Gone. Yeah, That's totally oh gone. My God. he Just, tries to cut it into something more along the lines of like a character piece, like the first movie. Uh, that's not why we love it, though. Like, that's not exactly. Yeah. Brandon, it's basically and I hate making this analogy, but it's basically like one of the re-edits of the New World, the Malik film, where they completely change the edit and it's a different movie and it just doesn't work. Like, it's kind of shitty and there's too much of what you don't like and a lot enough of what we do like. Like they cut. I think they, I think they might. I may be wrong. They might cut out There's No Easy Way Out, which is my favorite needle drop, period, in any Rocky movie, slash maybe any movie. Like, that sequence is my favorite. See, that – I don't know. I was interested in seeing it. I think – I want to say it was, like, a Fathom event or something, which, like, fuck Fathom. I don't want to give them my money. But, like – because, like, their their shit never looks good. But uh, I don't know. I I, I never ended up going to see it, and I almost bought the uh, Blu-ray release of it. But I don't know. I think I just might skip it now. I watched it at home. I didn't do Fathom. They had like a, it was like a $15 rental through Amazon Prime, <laughs> but now I own it because it's actually on that, that uh, new 4k set with uh, Dude, part four. I wanted to bring that up again. Cause you brought that up earlier. I want to buy that, but I, I'm like so anal about that stuff that I hate that it just doesn't have the other two in it. It doesn't make any sense why they just didn't include all six, but whatever uh, it's worth I, it, dude. I think you'll love it. It's beautiful. I, I definitely should get it. Like, I mean, the the first four movies look fantastic. So, and I I think you Jacob posted some stills from the fifth one though that made forgot I forgot how good that one looks. But like, I don't know. I feel like Martin, you and I love Dolph so much that we we have to have an extended bit on him because he's I don't know. I've I think a lot of people are of the agreement that he's grown into like a pretty tremendous actor. Like his Creed two performance, his uh, regeneration and Day of Reckoning performances, like. He's really great. He's great in the stuff that he directs now. Like I th- think he's pretty good in Castle Falls, that movie he made. Oh with yeah, Scott, Scott Atkins. Yeah, but I I do think it is kind of overlooked. Like there's something to him in Rocky Four that just like is undeniable. He he's like the, the the I fight for me stuff is like pretty tremendous for a guy who it's his like first big acting role. He's. Uh, this movie is what most non-Dolph fans know him from, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, like, no, this is, I mean, it's not even a debate. And and he never quite reached the heights of, like, I think, cultural popularity. Obviously, we know the stories of, like, Red Scorpion. That was going to be his step up to a Schwarzenegger or Stallone. There were a lot of reasons that didn't work out quite the way. Um, Apartheid being. Uh, yeah, there was just, there were, you know, a lot of things that didn't really go uh, the film's way. And, um but you know that's a whole separate episode. Yeah, exactly. But you know, rewatching this is it's fun. It's funny, Randy, because as a Dolph fan, like you are, like, and I know we're all Dolph fans here, but like, I almost like don't even watch it as a Dolph performance because he's just this other kind of. He's like this other kind of thing in this. He's a complete monster, and I've always he's almost like Frankenstein. Exactly, yeah. and I've yeah. always I've always people said 
Martin. Like you love Dolph more than like a lot of things in life. Um, if you had children, you would love Dolph more than your own children. It's like Batman I, and Dolph. I but. totally, I totally get it because I, uh, I, before I moved to my new place, uh, my showdown in Little Tokyo massive one sheet is framed in my living room now. But before <laughs> I moved into my new place, it was framed above my bed, like right in the center above my bed. So like. He's the guy. I mean, we, we got to hang out more, dude. Um, you got to get down to Austin. <laughs> but he's um, people always ask, like, what would you do with him? And I would make him more of a silent character. And I would do kind of a giant killer Viking is like my dream with oh, him yeah. because I think wow. his silent acting is so good. And I would give him almost like the kind of design of the Vikings from Pathfinder, which I think is kind of weirdly underrated. Um, at least the monsters are in that. These like eight feet tall just behemoth Vikings. Um, but I think in this one, like you said, Jacob, he's a, he's a, he's a complete Frankenstein and he's, it's all medical. And we see these scenes in a lot of these films of, you know, real down home brawn in barns or one of my personal favorite training sequences of the whole series, Creed two in the desert quote, hell, where he goes to find himself again. Um, but Rocky for the, the montage of science, Russian, you know, steroids, the irony of them ripping on steroids when Stallone is jacked as fuck on steroids. <laughs> but then to well, me it's and the space race, yeah, right? Like oh, that's totally, what they're yeah. doing is just the U.S. versus USSR, like stretching back to Kennedy and the Cold War and everything like that's what he's doing is that he's commenting on it, that there are these genetically modified monsters across the ocean yep. that are nothing but a threat to democracy. This is like it's crazy that it took us until Trump to really be like, man, Stallone's really right wing. right? <laughs> <laughs> It's the whole it's the whole was was the Russian or German uh, um, gymnastics team. Yeah, that that whole joke in the 80s or in the hockey. Yeah, it's It's just like that's what it was as part of that. That kind of cultural ubiquity is that the Russians were the monsters from across the ocean who were just lurking and waiting to beat our asses (laughs) and everything. Well, it's so funny that every like you said, everyone only caught on to that with Trump because Cobra is the most fascistic power oh fantasy I've God. ever seen. Like he gets yelled at in the beginning by a reporter about being too like about police brutality. And by the end of the movie, it's like the moral of the story is that police brutality is good. Oh, <laughs> and, oh, totally. The tagline for the movie is crime is the disease and he is the cure. <laughs> and it's it's so funny because that movie goes so far into like power fantasy that it almost like could read as a commentary on it. Well, I mean, Rambo two is no real different because even Cameron and we've referenced this on the podcast before is there's the great James James Cameron quote where he's like, the action is mine, but the politics are his. Like, it's (laughs) just, you know, everybody kind of recognized that Stallone was out of his fucking mind. I mean, Rambo three, at one point was dedicated to the Taliban. <laughs> like that's nuts in hindsight. They had to change the final title card. The movie for me that is like him at his most right wing though 
is Rambo Last Blood. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, now, God. what a film. I, I, am, I, am I haven't so seen that yet. Okay, okay. Really? Brandon, oh my God, you would love it. Brandon, it's a 30-minute <laughs> scene that's made for you. I think literally it's beamed down from heaven, just made it's for you. It's where Stallone becomes Jason Voorhees. It's, oh, my God. Okay, I, now I need to see this. I, I can't, I'm, I'm, and I know what you like. We're not exaggerating. It's disgusting. It, it's morally reprehensible, I, and it's wonderful. This my is kind one of movie. <laughs> this is one of those moments. It's like in, in – um, to quote Doc Holliday, my hypocrisy knows no bounds. Right. And, and so, and so, That's so funny, liberal political Martin is like, Oh my God, what a horrible film. All of John, genre film. Martin fan is like, this is the greatest movie ever made in mankind. I like called my brother. Who's like more liberal than I am. Did a, did a whole master's dissertation on gun violence in America. And I was like, you got to watch Rambo goes, Oh man, that was fucking great. I mean, it's, it's so fucked up. I mean, I it's, it's the same I, way I feel about like S Craig Zoller movies. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, bring it, baby. I don't give a fuck about these politics. And it's funny because like, I, I skipped it because I didn't like the fourth Rambo because I just felt like that was, I don't know. But all that's like Rambo. I, I think it's fine. I just I like the violence in it, but the CG blood. I know it's a lame complaint, but it throws me so much because I'm just like just just use real blood. <laughs> Come on, man! But like not real blood, but you know what I'm saying. I think that movie is 80 minutes of beautiful slaughter. It is fun. I shouldn't say I don't like it. I just I actually don't have a good reason for not seeing Last Blood because I, I love the Rambo movies on the whole. So I hope this like and there's also like an unrated director that's, that's cut out one. now that's like that's I, I'll have to check that one he out. He rips a man's heart out. Spoiler alert. He it, says to a man, you took my heart, quote, and now I'm going to take yours. And he then tears, he tears the heart out, holds it up to the camera. So nobody misses it. <laughs> it is the he most, is straight up Voorhees in that movie. It's fucking great. <laughs> so I love I love action movies where the the lead becomes a slasher like in uh Scott Ad- that Scott Adkins movie Savage Dog where he's essentially yeah. Jason Voorhees. Oh, I love it. it yeah, that that movie it's always amazing when that happens. Or all the Gerard Butler uh like Olympus is down. Oh or yeah. Olympus has fallen. Uh, uh talk Angel about has fallen with... all those oh my god, yeah. morally reprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a weird one too, Brotherhood of the Wolf after Monty dies. Oh like, yeah. Onslaught just shows up and murders everybody they, he's got the face paint on. It's I've like Legends of the Fall with werewolves. <laughs> I've never seen Brotherhood of the Wolf, but they're playing it at my little indie theater here, the Harris Theater this weekend. And I'm Dude, absolutely going uh, to see it. You please message me after. Yeah. They drove through a blizzard in Philadelphia <laughs> to see that in the theaters when it first came out. And like, you want to talk about a Mark Dacascus role that'll change your life? Like, holy fucking shit, that movie. I, I love, love my I love, I love Dave Carlson so much because he sat through all of Brother of the Wolf. He's a religion professor. He's a very erudite man. He hated every minute of it, but he didn't walk out. He <laughs> sat in the whole theater with my buddy Nathan. So. How could you love how could you like hate a movie that has a transition that goes from Monica Bellucci's boobs <laughs> to a mountain range? <laughs> I just remember seeing that and being like, oh, this is what God looks like. <laughs> but uh, but I, I don't know what if we were talking about. We were talking about Rocky Four, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I was going to jump to Rocky five really quick just to say that I think the biggest thing holding that back and it's not like a hot take or anything is that 
Tommy Morrison fucking sucks. <laughs> like, he's not good. He's so bad, dude. Like you get these four, well, no, three rather, because Apollo is the villain in the first two. Uh, you get like these three really great, totally different, like charismatic villains for like Dolph's not the most charismatic person, but you know what I mean? Um, well, that's I mean, what I was going to say is it kind of keeps in tradition in a weird way from Mr. T on Yeah, where you have Mr. T Dolph Lundgren and then Tommy Morrison. And then even in Creed, like, um, Ricky Conlon. He's pretty um, forgettable, the, but he's, he's the good, dude though. who plays Dolph's son, Florian Marintow or Mo- yeah. In, I in almost Mar- said no, no, Flori- Marintow, not Marintow. <laughs> that's an action movie. I wanted to say Florian <laughs> Zeller, but that's the father son director. <laughs> the yeah, no shitty. Austin it's not person. Anthony Hopkins with dementia, but it's, <laughs> but then, I mean, that's the crazy thing about Creed three that we'll get into when we get into that segment of the podcast is that like Jonathan majors feels like the first real actor in a long time to play a Rocky villain. Oh, well, and, for sure. That, that and, is true. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but it's been since, I mean, even before probably since Carl Weathers. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mr. T was a bouncer. Uh, Dolph was like a model slash bodyguard, almost chemical engineer. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So like, that's so crazy. Dolph's life that if, if it, he had gone in another direction, he'd be like a, a scientist somewhere. Yeah. Physicist or whatever. When it just, all came, cause he dated Grace Jones. Like they were on the set of the, the kill hottest oh, couple yeah. ever. And yeah. Insane that, that those two dated. And he, he said in interviews since that she wore him out sexually. It's oh, like, I, I believe it, man. It's like, I mean, Man, that's it's. <laughs> well, that's why View to Kill is so funny. You you watch like that horrible sex scene between her and Roger Moore, and she's like at night actually with Dolph Lundgren. Like there <laughs> there are not two more opposite people. Ninety seven year old Roger Moore, <laughs> just <laughs> one one foot in the fucking grave. Talk about an action figure called the Beef. <laughs> just two slabs slapping against each other until the break of dawn. <laughs> well, but I mean, you think about. Um, I think the true villain though of Rocky Five is the promoter. Yeah. Um I, I it's as I say it's the Don it's, King it's just Don, it's just Don King. And so it's kinda like because the, the thing is you see you see Tommy who is taken under the spell of of the business of boxing and Rocky's trying to protect him from that. And well, he, that's he's the almost thing I wanted to get into, especially once we get into Balboa, is how it mirrors the realistic arc of the sport of boxing in a weird way, especially when it starts integrating like the HBO specials, like in Rocky Balboa, Creed one, Creed two, and then Creed three moves it to showtime, which I found to be a notable detail because that's who owns the rights to Uh boxing matches. Now you can actually track the course of boxing as a sport from 2006 until, until 2023, because one of the cool things about Balboa, not to like jump ahead too much, because I have one topic I want to hit on Rocky four and three, frankly, that we've kind of skipped over, but is that Rocky Balboa is as much about the real life sport of boxing and how it kind of lost its sheen. Because the cool thing about the Rocky movies is that, you know, growing up, this was a sport for lack of a better term, that's kind of before all of our times. And like, I'm a 40 year old man, but like the last great champion that I really had is probably like Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson and those. Yeah. But when you get to 2006, like Balboa is all about how there are no contenders anymore. Yeah. Like the sport of boxing dead. is no longer like a viable 
bankable thing and that's how this old man like gets his resurrection is through a literal simulation through like a video game and it's still kind of still kind of going on to this day like i'm not i'm by no means like a boxing authority like it but it does feel weird that like what's his name fury is like the probably the biggest name in boxing right now and he's not anywhere near tyson level in terms of cultural resonance and well, it, most it, of the champions are Mexican now. Yeah. Like, those are the most yeah. exciting ones. Exactly. What? And then when when they do want to drum up like American interests, they have to get like one of the Paul brothers in there to do some stunt fight. And it's like it's kind of embarrassing. Well, it's it's almost being to the point we're kind of coming back to the autobiographical nature of it is it's the death of the American movie star, too. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. so like, you know, in 06, Stallone comes back. He's like. Oh, I know I've kind of been out of the ring for a bit, but like y'all are fucking dropping the ball here. You know, me and Schwarzenegger and John Claude are gone. <clears throat> I'm gonna come back and show you what's up. It's almost like Mason Dixon in this is like the new movie star. Is like, why is no one watching my movies? Yeah, like I'm the biggest star in the world. Well, and it's like nowadays you have to basically get like a forty dollar pay per view to watch like the Canelo fight. You know, like yeah. that's what you do. Like it's, but it, it's more of like a cultural thing than it is like a worldwide yeah. event. Like just super rich be. people watch yeah. still in like person. There's, yeah. There's no rumble in the jungle anymore. There's no Mike Tyson anymore. There's no Evander Holyfield. Like, I feel like boxing, not to take it into a sports conversation, but boxing more or less dies when, you know, the, the, the ear chomp. Happens. Yeah, because that's when it goes from being that's when people have to reckon with the fact that they're watching gladiator fights because right. before that, it's like they can kind of, white, you know, wash it yes. away because no yeah. one's actually getting hurt. But then someone actually goes out of their way to really hurt somebody and they're like, oh, what am I doing? Remember every every time there was a contender against um, Mike Tyson, they would make a deal with like Pizza Hut. It was the one guy who was like, I'm the new contender. It was when Stuff Crust first came out and he was and they're like, how are you training? I'm no fucking joke. And he's eating Stuff Crust. I remember. And and then he dies and he dies like that dies. He basically dies on the fucking mat like. 15 seconds into the fight. Yeah. All these guys are just getting murdered by fucking Mike Tyson. They all made deals ahead of time. Or remember how unbeatable Mike Tyson was was in Mike Tyson's punch out. Oh, like that game was so fucking hard. I love that. That was such a huge part of our like youth. (laughs) No one has his charisma anymore either. Like I know, like I brought up Tyson Fury and he has like, people do love him, but he's just not, he's, he doesn't have that weird oddball, like personality that Tyson had because Tyson, I mean, you know, there's the voice thing, which is still hilarious that, you know, that one of the most deadly people to ever live, you know, his hands are like weapons of mass destruction and he sounds like a little baby, Um, (laughs) but, but there's that, but he just is such an odd guy. And he's like, so when you hear him talk, he's very, even back then, like when you watch interviews with him, he's very introspective. It's like. He's, also a convicted sex offender. True. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't, I, I always feel weird that he has, he's had like the second act to his career where everyone kind of overlooks that. I mean, I know. And shows up in hangover movies. Yeah. And shit. Yeah. It's he's a weird, cute now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, uh, it, it, it's such a weird thing to see. It's like, it's like as if they were putting like Harvey Weinstein in movies and like, he's just like this lovable like guy. I mean, like it's, it's weird, but, but you can't deny that he's like, very interesting, odd kind of energy to him that I just don't think exists with any boxer anymore. And it's like no. kind, kind of kind of a bummer because I genuinely do like watching boxing, but it's hard to get into now because I don't know. I, I, like, I keep bringing him up, but I'm just I don't like Tyson Fury that much. He's not that compelling to me. 
Well, it's like you kind of brought up a good point, Brandon, is that the pugilistic poetry is lost at a certain point. Maybe it is the uh, the Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, like ear chomp incident is that all of a sudden you you were like, oh, that's right. These guys are just acting like animals and beating the fuck out of each other for our entertainment. Yeah. Right. In turn, we're probably the bigger animals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are we the bad well, guys? <laughs> yeah, are we are we the baddies? Um, <laughs> but I want to take it back to more problematic elements is that uh, between Rocky three and Rocky four, one of the most interesting things that unites those two movies is that uh, Rocky has to return to a certain form or a certain essence of fighter in yeah. both to beat his opponent. And in Rocky three, Rocky essentially has to become a black guy, uh, by being trained by, uh, Apollo Creed and going back to Los Angeles and like basically fighting in the hood. And then in Rocky four, he has to strip himself of basically all materialism, get back to nature and like throw logs in, in the, the Russian barn tundra and shit. And like, that's what helps him beat Ivan Drago. <laughs> and like, it's such an odd commentary again, to take it back to like Stallone's politics is being like, it's a guy who has like literally no self-awareness that if you made like, if you made Rocky three now and they were like, it's about this white fighter who now has to go back and basically be trained by a black guy to fight like a black dude, to beat a black dude, you'd be like, Mm, I don't know. Twitter <laughs> might not be into this movie anymore. Well, I mean, the original idea for Rocky one was based on the one guy, the white guy who punched Muhammad Ali and not yeah. the first guy to knock him down. Yeah. And that was like, and so you could see in his mind, Stallone's view of even Ali, the greatest fighter of all time of like, I wish, you know, someone ought to knock him down. You yeah, know what I mean? It's all about a white uh, person knocking a black dude. A proud, down, a proud, down a peg, a proud I, guy, you know, exactly. with power. <laughs> I uh, invoking Liam again, he brought this up. He said, it's like, it, it is like every East coast guy's power fantasy. That's like, I can beat that black guy up. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's pretty unfortunate that like don't come kind into of, my South Philly bar. Yeah. It's like, that is like the basis of Rocky. And it's kind of astonishing that it weathers those very unfortunate beginnings. <laughs> Well, it's part of what makes it so watchable, right? Yeah. Is that we we revisit it now and you can notice the problematic elements, but like the sheer entertainment of it all just elevates it even above those very weird points of view. Well, and, and, and one is very much couched in class versus race, right? So it's very right. much like poor versus rich. Yeah. They kind of ignore everything else, especially in the first one. Well, and then also to, to jump right into the Creed movies here, because I feel like we've talked about Rocky five enough. Also, how much can you talk about Rocky five? But like, well, uh, and Balboa is great, you know, yeah, well, yeah. Balboa too, but it's like, and I do want to touch on that, but it's like, cause Balboa is the bridge between the original Rocky series and the Creed movies, but the Creed movies are essential or like a reversal of the originals, odd racial politics, particularly one and two and then three. Um, but like one is all about a black guy basically rising to the top and ascending past his perceived, even self-perceived status and Balboa becomes like a side player to essentially like boost him up. Yeah. the entire he just, time. He's Mickey. Yeah. yeah. He's Mickey. Yeah. That's it. And it's like, that's what makes those movies so interesting in like a modern contextual sense is that I don't want to say he, he updates 
like Kugler updates the politics, but he certainly is aware of them. Like they feel, and this to echo Brandon's sentiments is that three white guys might not be the best to write or talk about these movies, but like I, they feel like remixes in a weird way to steal like hip hop terms is that they're taking the original series and mixing them into black movies. Well, and I mean, Creed to get to Creed, like when I saw this in the theater, it was Valentine's, sorry, not, um, Thanksgiving day weekend with my, my, Same. Best, my best friend. And we're both huge Rocky fans. We were, I was alone, San Francisco and it absolutely blew me away. I mean, I, I adore this movie and it feels very similar to this is Creed is too Rocky as is, I think, you know, Creed two and Creed three are to like Rocky three and four, um, in a lot of ways. Um, but especially Creed one, um, we talk about like legacy sequels. You're kind of getting at earlier, Jacob of, you know, like star Wars and force awakens. This is the one that did it right. This, I think this is the only truly successful, like rebrand remix, um, kind of, soft reboot of a series that's ever been done by Hollywood. It's so, uh, yeah, well, it's weird. Cause I don't even know what legacy sequel means anymore because I feel like anytime they bring back a long dormant series, they call it a legacy sequel. But like, like see a lot of people cite matrix resurrections, a movie I love, but I don't think that's a legacy sequel. Um, it's just whereas, a sequel. yeah. Whereas like something like Creed absolutely is. And I think it's really weird that that, that and Force Awakens came out in the same year, and they're like two sides of the same coin of like Hollywood took all the wrong lessons from Force Awakens and none of the right lessons from Creed, where it's yes, like 100 percent in in uh, someone was saying it to me the other day. I forget who it was, but they, it's a good point. The first 45 minutes of Force Awakens are fantastic, and it almost becomes dragged down when the older characters come in because you're whereas Creed is like saying goodbye to nostalgia. I think Force Awakens is just embracing it too much. And it's funny because I think Fury Road and Mad Max or same movie Fury Road and Jurassic <laughs> Road also came out that same year. And, yeah. and those are both other great examples of like a good kind of legacy sequel and a terrible version of a legacy sequel. Well, and I feel like legacy sequel is when you talk about something that plays to your nostalgia while like reinventing an aspect of the characters. But like, it's doing it in a way where you recognize the beats like Fury Road is perfect because it's just a straight up Mad Max movie. It's just yeah. the invention of it. Um, but then like Force Awakens is the ultimate example. Just New Hope. <laughs> yeah, it's just New Hope. Exactly. Creed is just Rocky, mm -hmm. but with a black guy and they reinvent it. Um, but then the, probably one of the weirdest examples of it is the David Gordon Green Halloween trilogy, mm -hmm. where it's just omitting an entire franchise, linking it back to the first. Like that might be the ultimate legacy sequel because it's just like, oh, yeah, remember all those other ones? Yeah, yeah that that never fucking happened. Like at least Creed acknowledges the rest of the franchise where that like the the David Gordon Green movies are basically like there's Halloween one and then there's us. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. We, you know, we open talking about obviously the film we're, we're focused on Rocky four, right, Brandon. And like, yeah. and how many, all of Creed is dependent on Rocky four out of all the movies. It's, it's crazy, most dependent yeah. on what happens in that movie. The most music video, -y. all the dramatic moments of that are the most important moments to Creed one, two and three. I mean, right. And I think it shows that 
as much of a joke of that as that movie became for a lot of people for a long time. And it became like basically before memes were a thing, it was kind of a meme. Like, you know, everyone just would quote, I must break you if he dies, yeah. he dies. But as much as like, it kind of shows that that's the one that people our age, you know, like Ryan Coogler's around our age, Michael B. Jordan's around our age. That's the one they grew up with the most. And that's the one they have the most reverence towards. And it's kind of nice to see it take on like this, like, a little like there's like a sense of respect to that movie that I don't think it got from the crowd that you know saw it, you know over the you know what I'm trying to say. Abs- I know where you're yeah. going, for sure. Well, yeah. I think it's the difference between quality and iconography. Yes, right. right? Yes. It's the way that like you even related. Um, we were talking about John Wick Four before we started recording, and you called it possibly the best version of like a GI Joe movie. And, but that's the thing is that like, there are certain things that came from that era that are forever burned into our brains, stuff like Rocky Rambo GI Joe's, Ghostbusters, stuff like that, that are he man. Yeah. It's not necessarily whether they're good or bad. It's the fact that they got a certain image exactly right so that we could track it through the rest of pop culture. And then that's what these, these great filmmakers like Ryan Coogler are come in and they graft their own take on that iconography and completely reinvent it. Cause that's what made Creed like so fucking amazing is that you have a real filmmaker stepping in, doing one take fight sequences, yeah. new Hollywoody bring, scenes. Bring, like. Yeah. Taking it back to the original, like Rocky to where it's mostly like a character drama about a guy struggling with his own identity. You want to talk about like, you know, you have three is about a guy selling out and becoming soft. Four is like the continuation of that. And like, uh, and really is more or less about Apollo's like, uh, insecurities and like losing his place in the world. And that's what leads to his actual death in Rocky four five starts the old man, Rocky kind of, uh, cycle. Let's it's say next, which like Balboa then becomes the peak of that Balboa is like, which we haven't really talked about that much. Like, dude, I cried through <laughs> 80% of that movie. Like the speech that Balboa oh, yeah. gives, like two thirds of the way through where he talks about, it's not how hard about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep going. Exactly. That's like some of fucking Stallone's greatest acting. And it's the reminder of that Brando thing we were talking about at the beginning of like this guy, when he applies himself is one of the, the true greats of American cinema. I literally took a note while watching. I I had not seen Balboa since the theater. It's another one. I hadn't watched a lot. So fucking and I cool. liked it the first time, but I also I, with the real fighter and the guy who plays Mason Dixon. Yeah. And, and, and he's pretty good more, in it too. Yeah. More, yeah. He's, I like him a lot. Cause he's not bad. He's yeah. more just like, no, I want respect. You know what this movie watching this time. I the same way. I was water fucking works. I'm alone on my couch rewatching this. And for me, it was funny. Again, that scene I wrote down, I said, this is not some of his best acting, but also his best writing. Like he, the sh- moment where he's like, he goes with Polly. And looks at the the demolished wreck oh my where the God. ice rink used to be, and he's reminiscing about their first date and everything. And Paulie literally is like, "I can't do this anymore. You remember her, and you were nice to her, and I remember her, and I was, I was terrible. Her. I was terrible to her, and it's just about guys reckoning with like." 
their past. And it's man, Balboa is undervalued. Well, and again, so we're talking about too about you know it being symbolic of him coming back as the movie star. It's him walking around the scenes of his youth as an actor and as a star and being like, they're all gone. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, all gone. It's him using Rocky Balboa to basically write a diary entry. Totally. It's almost like a Bourdain episode at certain points because it's just like you said, like him walking down memory lane and being like, remember where you're here, you know, 30 years ago to the day and like where I was as a young man. Now I'm old. Everything's moved on and I'm all alone. Oh. It's such a sad fucking movie and I love it to death. Jesus, it's I don't have anything better to say than that because it's it's a it, it's exactly it. And it's it's much as we hear about how great he is in Creed, which he is, and it's still uh, I, I like Bridge of Spies a lot. I know people kind of shit on that movie, like in retrospect, because of the whole Mark Rylance thing. But it is crazy that Stallone lost that that award. But I mean, I don't know. It sounds like he's not as well liked as I think people think he might be. <laughs> but um, I think that's a lot of like old bad behavior coming back to bite him in the ass. Because if you ever read any of the, when, when he was at like the peak of his fame was shit like Cobra and Rambo and everything. Like he was a maniac Oh yeah, like, and totally self-involved. And I feel like some people have never let go like of the kind of show yeah. access Stallone. And now that he wants to be old man, introspective Stallone, they're like, mm, we're good. We remember when you were a fucking dick. Yeah, and, the, and, it, and again, the politics don't help either. No, and as as good as he is in Creed, though, I think he's just as good in Rocky Balboa. I I totally agree. It, he's really wonderful. <laughs> he's so nice too. You see that soft side the way he was with with Marie, the kid. I love I love bringing her back. At first, I wasn't oh, sure, but amazing. I love that idea of like when he changes the light bulb in oh, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> It's just such a weird, but it feels like a moment straight out of 76. Yeah, totally. Where like, that's something that, because we talked about earlier how like the, the character of Rocky Balboa might not be the most consistent because you have Rocky, Rocky two. And then the Rocky from three and four is more of like the eighties action figure Rocky instead of a real person. But Rocky Balboa and Rocky five actually get him back to being the real South Philly Palooka version of Rocky that like, I've no like I've met that guy. Like I know that guy. I grew yeah. up outside of Philadelphia. Like I feel like, you know, it was a, 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 a cultural imperative that I'm a fan of these movies because I feel like you would be <laughs> outcast from Philadelphia if you weren't. There is, I have a question for you both. What do you think about as a character, Fiona compared to Adrian? Because my initial as a character, I don't find her as important narratively as, as Adrian is. Um, Fiona is the most authentic Philadelphia character ever played by somebody not from Philadelphia. No, and I agree. She's, she's so fucking awesome. But I, I think that she, she is the Adrian of the Creed movies. It's just different. But like. I love Tessa Thompson in these movies. Like, I think that she's tremendous. And I think that her dedication to Philly is tremendous too, because like her speech in Creed about like, what's a John. Oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I felt seen. <laughs> no. And I, I'm not against her on her acting. She's amazing. And I, just, I shouldn't I, be, but I think in the script, I, again, kind of going back to like Rocky and Adrian, Adrian is like, he's a dummy, right? In the end, he's not an intelligent man. 
Um, and she is like the brains and she is his heart. She's the one who points him in the right direction. She's also his North star. I feel like you get, a, I think you get most of that in Creed one Creed two. I find her like this kind of like with Adrian in part two, it's like not as necessary. I like her a lot more in Creed three as her, cause her story is interesting in that one of I, now that she's a person past now her prime. Right. I think what, what hurts her in Creed two is the behind the scenes stuff with Stallone trying to take control from Coogler uh, okay. and yeah. Capel and uh, Michael B. Jordan, because like, from what I've heard, there's there was just so much stuff going on with that. He wanted more and more. He he wanted it to be more of a Rocky movie. And for, I never knew this, but um, I heard uh, that I guess he wanted a full on fight scene in the hospital between him and, and Dolph. And he had to be like basically shut out of the movie because of that, because they were like, that's terrible. Like, no. And I mean, I would love to see that. I'd love to see those two old, old guys go out at it, but I don't think it fits with the tone of that movie at all. I think there's footage somewhere of them getting in fisticuffs in the, in the um, restaurant. Yeah. Like it's, it's from one of the trailers. They got physical and one cuts. It's not yeah. in the final movie. Yeah. I remember in the lead up to Creed two, there's a director who will go nameless. Who's worked with Stallone in the past, who I talked to, and he talked to me about the pitch sessions for Creed 2 and how Stallone had taken such creative control over that movie that the only pitches he would hear were ones that involved Drago and, and mm. Rocky. That was it. There was no other take on the franchise. He had basically booted everybody else out and the people who came in. It was like, you can pitch for this movie, but it has to fit this storyline. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's weird because if we're getting really to Creed two now, I I like this movie a lot, and rewatching it specifically, obviously a lot of back you know behind the scenes drama. I like the resultant film. I, I like this is the one I warm to the most on all of these rewatches is because I was kind of lukewarm on it when it I, I saw it in theaters and never really gone back revisiting it this time. I was like, damn, this movie fucking rips. Also. It feels kind of like a DTV movie in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like Rocky four or three. It feels like those also. Yeah. This is when the character just goes out the window. You really start to, to remix it, but it has a janky quality that almost feels like an Isaac Florentine or like Jesse V Johnson, like DTV, like red box movie. But I don't mean that in like, a derogatory way. Like it's a thing that I got into the movies. We all, the three of us like, a lot. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and and I, I love Creed too. I I can't see it objectively because I think it's like that 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 restaurant scene alone. I mean, it, as much as I disagree with Stallone wanting it to be more about Rocky and Drago, uh, that restaurant scene alone is like just perfect. And I I really do like that movie. I think it's objectively maybe the weakest of the three, but it's still I don't think it's bad at all. I really really like that movie a lot. No, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I have no objectivity. I mean, seeing Dolph on a big Hollywood screen again, you know, that just as a fan, like I was alone in the audience and I could tell everyone was like kind of liking it, but I was just enthralled because I was like, oh my God, I'm seeing Dolph up there. And, and again, he's so fucking good. He, he's really, really good because it's, it's Drago. It's Drago, but also like, 
I love, I think the writing for like what happened to him and like how, how he lost the wife, he lost the, and his son lost his dude, mother yeah, is dude, great to take it back to that restaurant scene where he literally ends with, I lost everything, lost championship, lost, lost wife, lost. And then he ends with lost wife and you realize, and then bring in, uh, Brigitte Nielsen back oh, man. for that end sequence. And she walks out of the fight when Victor starts to lose, like it's such a heart crushing moment, but like, the entire movie is worth it for the final moments when uh, yes. Ivan embraces Victor after he loses and tells him it's okay. Like, it's just, it's one of those things that like on paper, if someone one, if I was a producer of this movie and someone was like at the end, Ivan Drago, good dad, I'd be like, mm, I don't know. That seems weird. But then you watch it in execution and it's because Here's the thing about the, the what I wanted to come back to when you guys were popping off about Dolph Lundgren <laughs> and how, how hard he made you. But uh, I won't lie about it. One of the coolest things about him is his face and oh, like yeah. how his face has aged yeah. from chiseled action figure, kind of like pretty boy. Beautiful, um, too. Yeah, uh, 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 he reminds me obvious for, you know, this isn't an, a, a hard comparison, but it's like a lot like Jean-Claude Van Damme to where you can see the years and the wear and tear cheek lines. on his face. But Dolph wears it in such a way that feels so sad and empathetic by the end of Creed two, that when he does embrace his kid and tell him it's okay, like I fucking believe it because I see all of like life on Dolph Lundgren's face. And it just moves me in a way that I don't think I like in any other actor's hands, I wouldn't be moved that way. But like you think back to that per that, 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 pinnacle of perfection that Ivan Drago was in Rocky four. And then you see the weathered bruised poor individual that's trained his kid to try and make any semblance of a comeback, like embrace him at the end. And it's like, it's like I'm fighting back tears right now because it's just, it's so moving because like, that's a real person in front of you. It's beautiful. And you brought up the, he lists the things that he lost. And the reason why I think that's one of my favorite performances of the last decade is the beat he takes in between what he says and then wife and how he grits his teeth with it is just such an amazing little bit of acting. It's it, it like blows me away every time I watch that scene. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's it, it, it I, I've always loved Dolph. I think he's always been great, but like it really did. He really did grow into, I think kind of the best of his peers for sure. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, again, to get autobiographical again, I mean, besides, a subset of of us and film film fans, Dolph has been forgotten about pretty much since since again part four. You know he's oh you mean the guy from Rocky Four? When I tell people I love Dolph Lundgren, who's that? And for him to be back and to say I lost everything, I think you're totally right, Jacob. It's all on his face, and it's all also him talking like a younger movie star, possibly. Oh you yeah, know? They, they're they're camaraderie and they're they're they have amazing chemistry. Even their silent moments of just like, I love all the like them running through what looks like fucking Chernobyl. These like government houses in Ukraine Dude, is just the, so amazing. Even the final fight as as Victor starts to get his ass beat more and more and and Ivan Drago keeps pushing him and pushing him, and pushing him. And there's those movies where like Dolph will look away and you'll see 
a look on Florian's face of like almost like despair or like incredulity where like he can't believe his dad keeps pushing him, but he's not going to let his dad down. Yeah. Yeah. He'll die first. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking great. It it fits. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, oh no. I just was going to say it it fits in a lot with the high end universal soldier movie stuff where it's like these, these, these action stars reckoning with their mortality and welcoming in a new, a new, I, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? New generation of action stars, but like having to go down swinging to do it, it's it's pretty remarkable. No, I, I again, just like you know, kind of put a button on. I mean, seeing the theater by myself, I mean, I was like, wait, this is happening right now. Like, is it really? Because <laughs> the film again becomes this like like Rocky Four kind of more simplistic action movie for a lot. And then it lands that ending so hard and so well where you realize it's the movie's more about Drago and his son than anybody else. Like it's their journey. They're the protagonists protagonists of that movie. Yeah. And, and, and Creed facilitated that. Like, it's really beautiful. The other thing that's weird about Creed too, uh, before we, we jump into the newest movie is that for all of Stallone's reported, behind the scenes meddling, it is still strange to me how much Rocky is sidelined during the movie. Yeah. He vanishes during the entire second act when Creed goes to LA and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just gone. It's actually the the part of it that keeps it from being like a four star movie for me. And you can kind of see it and you can kind of see Stallone's ego and why he wants the narrative to run that way is that it's almost like, well, Rocky's got to come back to like, be the force that powers Creed back into the ring and to be a champion. But at the same time, you're hamstringing your own icon by basically being like, well, he at, he has to essentially go on the, the traditional Joseph Campbell, like hero's journey and reject Rocky and then come back to him. And you're like, mm, doesn't quite work, but it's yeah. what you're going for. You guys want to get into Creed three? Let's do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right.
We're back talking about Creed 3, the latest installment in the Rocky franchise. I feel like you guys were bigger fans of this than I was, so I'm going to kind of cede the floor to you. Who wants to go first? Brandon, go for it. Well, see, for me, like, it's an odd movie because I think the first half is excellent. I think that it does a lot of good work laying the groundwork for the relationship between the two, almost to the point where I've seen some people say that they almost wish that the fight never happened because like, it's such a great drama between, between these two people that it's like the fight almost takes away from it. I think that's crazy. We'll get to the fight, but, um, but I do think it speeds up a little bit too much in the second half that it, it there's it, almost it, like no second act. Right. And that's what I think the big problem with the movie is, is that it, it has a great first act and then speed runs through the, act two and three to where I feel like the catharsis that you want from that relationship doesn't quite hit, but I think it's made up for the fact that he is just the touches he brings as a director to this movie, especially in that final fight are unbelievable. Like sending these guys to the astral plane and that fight is wild stuff. Like I might like, I was like blown back. Like that saved the movie for me and made it one that I actually legitimately adored. And I almost didn't want to root against, um, Dame, though, I it, it, I don't think the movie did enough work to get you on Donnie's side, but that's OK, because it, that, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, because that was the question I honestly had during the majority of Creed three is that I was like, is Adonis Creed the villain of this? Because like Jonathan Majors might present a more like for as intimidating and evil as they make him in certain scenes he might actually be more sympathetic than Donnie is by the end. Well, it's the same. It's the same arc from black Panther, right? It's the idea right. of you got to go to heaven and go to like being rich and successful. Yeah. He I was, was the left, killmonger. you know, but switch now, you know, I was left, I was left behind, you know, in jail for 18 years. And it, it's interesting to really pair this up again with Rocky three of, you know, this is almost what would have happened if Clubber Lang had been a more nuanced character with a personal connection to Rocky where you're, it confuses you a little bit because, which I think is cool at the same time, but it does make it confusing as a viewer. But also I, I, I watched a, um, an interview with Michael B. Jordan where he went deep on his love of anime and, and, oh, yeah. and they were like, what are your top five? And he went like full on nerd deep on this shit. And he, he made a really great kind of quote about, and I'm going to completely paraphrase this is um what's great about anime fights is like everything else kind of drops away and it's two characters who have nothing left to say to one another and they have to use like their violence to communicate which and, is what and, the whole and final that fight is. it leads to that because i mean even again you know fiona who i think is a better character in this one uh, more again more more fleshed out where she says well i guess you have to fight him then you know, it's like all other diplomacy has dropped away. That's not what she says. She says, well, you got to do what you got to do. Like she is on his side. No, 100%. totally. Yeah, because this is again, it brings it back to the whole uh, male insecurity thing is that this movie is just as much about Donnie not being able to articulate his feelings, particularly about abandoning uh, Damien in the past when there were kids and like that all finally being forced to bubble up to the surface when he comes back into his life. It's about a guy who lives through his fists 
having to actually wrangle with these intangible emotions. Well, and I want to call out before I forget. So my friend plays the guy who abused them as a kid, as kids, Aaron Alexander. Got his ass he's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a, uh, I met him here. He taught me how to do a stunt fall in a movie. And now he's, he's back in Austin, but I literally, everyone in the theater looked at me because I watched this movie. They go, Oh shit, it's Aaron. And I like yelled that out. <laughs> and so I messaged him after, and he's an, the, I know that man. He was the, he's the coolest guy and an amazing. And actually the coach of one of the boxers is this guy, Bobby. And I killed him in the movie one time I shot him. So it was like really cool. Like one of those moments, but, uh, it was like, I definitely texted him. I was like, Hey man, I made an ass out of myself in the Creed three screening. When I yelled your name, <laughs> when you were, when you were beat up in front of a very, in a very dramatic scene. Um, oh, but I, so but I do, I do like bringing that in though. I mean, honestly, the kind of like, it, it felt a little out of place for a moment that they had this traumatic background I've never heard about, but I'm like, but he grew up in the system. Of course he has stories. It is the first scene of Creed. It's right. him being in a juvenile voice. And, and saying, I don't want to go back to a foster home. Like that's even yeah. planted there. Of like I've seen bad things there. Right. The thing yeah. that I kept thinking about when it comes to this movie though, is that I wondered if it's a worse version of the best Rocky movie never made, which is warrior. Ooh, like it's, I thought a lot about close and like Jonathan Majors's character is pretty yeah. close to Tom Hardy's too. Yeah. That that's a good point. I I didn't think of that in the moment, but the, there are a lot of pretty crazy parallels. Yeah, well, like, I kept thinking about the arm break. For, I kept thinking it was going to be a moment where he was going to have to injure Majors to make him stop fighting. And I, I, I did think of Warrior, and I love that movie. Well, and the lot, fact that know? it's literally about two guys in Warrior, they're literal brothers, but in here they, they consider themselves one another brothers. But it's like one guy coming back from – like in warriors war to, to find his domesticated brother and having to meet each other in the ring by the end and confront all of these things from their past together. And their dad. Out. Yeah. Their dad. Exactly. And then Creed three, you have a guy coming from jail to do the same thing to confront Donnie. And like, there's even the scene on the beach, which is the same thing. Like, man, like warrior. That's the thing about warriors that like, I might actually like that movie more than all of the Rocky movies. I guess that's my hottest take is because I think that's Tom Hardy's greatest role. Um, like he's so like, you want to talk about taking it back to like Stallone and Brando and yeah. those comparisons, like Tom Hardy and warrior is like, one of the most freakish, insane performances of like my lifetime. And that final fight between him and Joel Egerton, when it's set to uh, the nationals about today is like, you want to talk about a movie that like reduces me to just a puddle of tears. I love that film to death. The scene where he cusses out um, Nick Nolte in the hotel room is that what ruins me every time. I yeah. Nick, you, and Nick Nolte should have won an Academy. Award absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's, fucking incredible in that film is similar like you said stallone brandon for creed you know it's just like yeah. completely laid bare in front of the audience Absolutely. you should and nobody should have ever been able to like use moby dick in a film again oh yeah <laughs> like that was it oh you didn't they like figured it out you didn't like the whale <laughs> cut it off yeah exactly y'all skip whale the whale and, and go see john wick four it's a much better suit so total total aside i cannot stop laughing about the when when whale won best makeup 
at the Oscars, the the announcer who like is like so and so, this is their like sixth Oscar or whatever it is. Uh, they say she said for creating for creating the whale, like she referred <laughs> to the character as the whale. <laughs> It's like shut up. Starring <laughs> Brendan Fraser as the whale. <laughs> Academy that, Award winner Brendan Fraser for his role as the whale. <laughs> God, it's so, that movie is so fucked up. <laughs> but speaking, Jesus Christ. So speaking about giant mammals, um, Jonathan Majors, dude, how does anybody get that shredded? I watched his men's health video because somehow it got I've I've loved him since. I mean, it's only been like five years or four years, but last black man in San Francisco. I remember in the theater being like, no one knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. I was like, who's this guy? He's incredible in that. Defy Bloods. You know, he's great in that. Um, I forgot about the five bloods. I feel like that's one of those movies time has already forgotten and it's kind of a masterpiece. Well, he's, yeah. he, he's so good. He's so good in it. And like everyone, you know, cites, uh, oh, uh Delroy Lindo, Delroy Lindo, which yeah. of course, like it's an incredible performance, but I mean, uh, Jonathan majors is just as good in that movie. That movie's excellent. I wish it, I don't know. Spike Lee's late, latter periods kind of getting just forgotten as it goes along. And it's a little frustrating. Well, and you want to talk about a great, like, near last Chadwick Boseman role. Oh, yeah. He's basically just like an angel. He's just a great, like, I love those, like, their memories of him as this, like, perfect soldier is just, is is beautiful. A better tribute than fucking Wakanda Forever. I mean, it's more nuanced and. Sorry, Ryan Coogler. Yeah, sorry, but (laughs) I did not like that movie. Um, No, that movie's awful. It's really bad. Yeah, that movie is just (laughs) awful, awful movie. And I don't even really blame Ryan Coogler. I think. Yeah, I, I think he his the first one got in right under the wire of these movies becoming even more homogenous than they already are. And like this one is just it doesn't feel like Ryan Coogler at all. No, but um, but yeah, no, like the only thing I really don't care about that Jonathan Majors has been in, well, other than Ant-Man, which I haven't seen, but um, is like everything else he's done has been like must watch for me. Like I even watched uh, I was going to bring up Lovecraft Country. I watched it because of him and I stopped watching it after the first episode. It's but It's terrible. It's awful. But yeah, like I did seek it out because he was in it because I was like, oh, this guy is like I have to see everything he does now. But he he's I mean, I love um, I love his physicality in this movie, too. And I love that, like. There's always a way it's kind of like the Fast and the Furious series where every time Tyrese says, you tell me we're going to go against these kind of guys. This is out of our league. And there's always a way they kind of do it. I love the physicality of like Jonathan Majors, like the way he uses kind of like it almost seems they're saying like prison fighting, like using again his like elbow to cut or um, hitting them on like the shoulders and the arms to kind of like incapacitate them. Um, I love just like his almost like the way he wins is because like in a lot of Kung Fu films, it's a new style we've never seen before. It's right. Um, yeah. It's incredible. Like the, in, in the way he shoots it, like an anime, like the, the close-ups on their eyes. And like, there's that yeah. shot where, uh, Dame punches Creed in the stomach. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> and like the sweat flies off his back. It's just, I, 
I don't know, like we're way early in the year. Oscars just happened, but I mean, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan might be on my director ballot next year. <laughs> that shot is my favorite shot in the movie. And it's just so it's so fucking cool. It's very Wachowski as well. I mean, the yeah, way, like they they brought the the anime stuff in. He has a, a Wachowski vibe to him for sure. But like, the, I I just love the fact that the confidence to like we've seen all the different ways a rocky fight can be shot and the confidence to do something new with it and you know send it to the astral plane where they're fighting in this empty prison cell is like it really inspired stuff yeah i was i kind of i kept thinking of running man like yeah. the, the scene where <laughs> jesse quote-unquote kill schwarzenegger in that like uh, scene <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the crazy thing for me watching it now is a guy who like remembers watching The Wire on its first run. Seriously, is seeing Michael B. Jordan evolve from Wallace on The Wire to the second quarterback on on Friday Night Lights to becoming Adonis Creed and now directing the final what we assume will probably be the final Creed movie unless they, they keep pushing forward, which they might because it's making a fuckload of money with but Avon Barksdale. Like, yeah. With Avon <laughs> Barksdale as a trainer. Like we haven't even gone into that. Like seeing him with a silver beard is like really jarring for me. Again, for a guy yeah. who like I watched the wire on the first run and everything and was like, Oh my God, this fucking actor dude. And now he's just like as Duke, like when Jonathan Majors talks shit to him and he reacts to stuff, like some of the funniest shit in the movie is is Ava, Avon's, which he has a real name, but like Avon's reactions to everything, be like what? And it like, and it's just, but it's awesome because like we, Kugler, who's still acting as uh, he has a story by credit on it, and uh, you know is a producer on these movies even after Stallone kind of muscled him out and everything like. He created this universe. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the Rocky universe is the Rocky universe, but the Creed universe, even though it exists inside of it, it's so distinctly black and like its own thing. Like that's that's kind of my main pushback against the the uh, criticism of Bianca is that. Um, what I always loved about her character is that Tessa Thompson turns her into almost like the inversion of Adrian to where like. Stallone brings Adrian out of her shell and she becomes like his, uh, uh, you know, siren more or less and, and inspiration as the, the series goes along. Tessa Thompson and Bianca, like without her, like Creed uh, Adonis would never survive in Philadelphia. Like she becomes his tour guide and gets him into that culture. And then like, you know, he connects with Rocky Balboa and everything, but like she, her, her, uh, fight song intro in Creed too. Oh yeah. So fucking dope. Like I, I love her in these movies. That's one thing uh, really quickly that I love about all three of these movies is the entrances for the so good are incredible. Well, and, and you're right. And I call, I apologize. I called her Fiona earlier, but like I, um, the one thing I do like about her character though, is she has her whole other side storyline. Like Adrian is completely tied yeah. to the success of Rocky where it's this constant thing of these two people who are both after their own careers. And I love how Jonathan majors, how Dame uses her stepping away. Cause she's all stepped away as a producer because of her ear, her ear, her hearing loss. It seems like you must miss it. He's like finding this wedge, 
like in their relationship. I, I think we're talking about the pacing. I wish that went on longer. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's where we could yeah. stretch the film. Another is, 20 minutes of like the actual human drama between the three of them. Of him slowly kind of infiltrating their life and beyond just like, I hired a guy to break the hand of the guy's going to box. Yeah. You know, like jumping right to that. Well, yeah, the that, other thing that's great too in the movie is uh, Adonis's relationship with his deaf daughter. Like, I like that the this movie jumps forward in time, yeah, and just establishes that like he knows sign now. He's a great dad. He dresses up in a little dinosaur costume and has tea parties on her birthday. And also, his mom's stroke. Oh like, yeah, they never. Yeah really like it takes you being almost intuitive as a viewer being like, what's going on here. And then they finally are like, Oh yeah, she had a stroke. Like, before. yeah, we don't want to, we want to prevent that again. Well, she's Mickey. Yeah. Exactly. It's, again, it's part three and it's Mickey's death. So it's, it's such a frustrating movie because like, I think like for, for all the reasons we're saying, and the reason I'm so forgiving of it is I think as I'm getting older, <laughs> And as movies are looking worse and worse, I'm becoming more forgiving of movies that look like something. (laughs) And and it's distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, my favorite movies of the the Oscar nominees this year were like, you know, outside of Tar were like Avatar, Top Gun and Elvis because they look like something. (laughs) And like, like the rest of there's contrast. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I, I really did. I, I really did have problems in the moment with the movie where I was sitting there. Like I did have a thought during the movie as it wrapped up into it. I was like, this is kind of wrapping up a little too quickly. Like there's no second act. Like, like you said, Jacob, there's no second act to the movie, but I think it, it acquits itself well with its final fight. Yeah. And, and to your point, too, Brandon, it's just, it's so well directed from like beginning to end. And, and it starts off like, I mean, you, you see, his flourishes as a director very early on. It's not like he saves the anime stuff for the end, right? You're already seeing it earlier. Like, wow, holy shit. Like you're doing some weird stuff here, man. Like this is not just you doing, you know, Kugler. And I, I do think it's also cool that like, there's a history in the Rocky series of the star being the director, you know, obviously Stallone created Rocky, but then by two through four, he's, he's directing it. And then Balboa, it almost seems kind of perfect that now Michael B. Jordan has his chance in this series. Yeah. Like 100%. Th- this, this is his chance to kind of jump out of just being an actor. And I know we're all sick of IP stuff, but it is kind of funny that he's like going the Stallone route and like franchising all this stuff too. Like, I guess there's talks of like continuing the series in other ways. Like I think they want to do a spinoff of his daughter. They want to do an anime series. Like it's, it's all kind of crazy, but I like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of for the, uh, the, the gumption of it. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny. When without remorse is his Rambo character. That's so we're gonna, exciting. We're gonna, the, we're gonna have the Rainbow Six, you know, spinoff for that. So like, I like kind of taking this alone completely. Yeah. And and I liked that movie quite a bit. I loved the action in it. I didn't like that it was essentially a two-hour trailer for Rainbow Six. But the fact <laughs> that Stahelski is directing Rainbow Six, I'm like, yes. oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, this has been great. I have to say really quick, if they are going to continue this in any way, what I want, I know Stallone threw kind of a hissy fit on Instagram over it. 
I want the Creed spinoff, but I want it to be DTV directed by Dolph. Oh, the, the Drago <laughs> spinoff? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, Drago. Yeah. Yeah. I saw your tweet, and I'm like, we are in the complete <laughs> agreement on that, please. Like, yeah. Dude, I would do – like, what I would do is do a remake of Red Scorpion, and, oh ha- and it's the yeah. same character. And so st- so that Drago was actually a Spetsnaz guy before he became a boxer. That would that's be what amazing. I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, – I want more Drago, and I don't care if it makes Stallone mad. He can – keep crying he's rich who cares i, I yeah because Dolph jumped off that project so fucking fast <laughs> yeah. Stallone's like i haven't heard about it and Dolph's like whoop nope never yeah, mind i'm not doing that movie stallone posted something like you never know which friends are going to stab you in the back and Dolph was like i'm so sorry <laughs> which i completely understand Dolph, and we love you i miss you <laughs> please come on our podcast <laughs> I'm actually uh, I don't do the con thing anymore because like I don't know it feels a little tacky to me like as a you know you know fancy film journalist now to go pay money to meet <laughs> celebrities but Dolph is coming to the Steel City Con at the end of March and I'm absolutely going like I have to do it it it, it has to happen I have one <laughs> autograph my dad got me an autograph of his for my for Christmas a couple of years ago it's the greatest gift I've ever received it's I'm, on my wall so. I'm so excited to meet him I don't even know what I'm going to say I'm just going to like shake his hand and that's it but I just I'm very excited about it I I have an autograph from him during uh COVID, he did a virtual signing where you could send away for, you know, a personalized autograph. And of course I got him in the He-Man outfit and signed to me. So <laughs> he's, yeah, he's the greatest celebrity I've ever, when I met him, I, I thought I was going to die and like transcend. So it's, I've, I hope you have the same experience. I hope so too. I have a lot of friends who I have a few, not a lot. I have a few friends who do con work, like behind the scenes at different cons. And my one friend, Maddie, who does con stuff in Australia, uh, said that he is like, impossibly nice to everybody including he's the staff. very fucking cool yeah so yeah again we love you dog. <laughs> <laughs> well this has been great thank you so much for joining us brandon oh yeah we'll of course. see yeah yeah and then we'll have to see you guys next time for secret handshake thanks y'all Hey woman, I 
show you a real man. I, I, I show you a real man. Real man. Real, 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 real man. I show you a real man. I, I, I show you a real man. Real man. Real, 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 real man. I show you a real man. I, I show you a real man. Real man. Real, 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 real man. I show you a real man. I, I, I show you a real man.